Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for listening to this Last Blast podcast by The Intercooler. Now, before we get started, I just want to take a moment to thank Footman James for sponsoring Last Blast. As you know, at The Intercooler, we only partner with like-minded organizations, with companies that we think really understand what it means to be a car enthusiast. Footman James fit into that perfectly. I know this because when talking to them before making this recording, they said to me, please don't talk about car insurance, which I think says a lot. So instead, I'm just going to give you a couple of reasons why Footman James is different to other car insurance companies. Coffee and Chrome, for one thing. That's Footman James' regular car meet. It's free to attend once you're registered. It's where hundreds, if not a thousand, car enthusiasts get together with their classics to enjoy and share their passion for cars. Footman James also publishes its indicator report. It's a thorough analysis and a detailed report into the state of classic car ownership in this country. The point is to promote and safeguard the future of classic cars in the UK. So there you go. Two good reasons why Footman James is different to other car insurance companies. So thank you, Footman James. Go and visit footmanjames.co.uk. You're listening to The Last Blast podcast by The Intercooler. Hi everyone, Dan Prosser here with a 15-minute sample from our most recent Last Blast podcast for you. This one is Andrew Frankel talking to uh, Red Bull Racing Chief Technical Officer Adrian Newey, arguably the greatest ever Formula One designer. He's won so many races, won so many drivers and constructors championships. Um, and well, he's about to add two more to that, isn't he, in 2022? Um, it's a fascinating conversation. The full thing is about an hour and 40 minutes. So, I mean, we are enormously privileged uh, at TI to have been given an hour and 40 minutes of Adrian Newey's time. I mean, what's that worth? Um, so hopefully you'll enjoy the podcast. This is a 15-minute clip from it. The full thing lives on the Intercooler website and the Intercooler app. Um, you're going to have to be a subscriber 
Um, so if you're not subscribed already and you want to listen to this conversation, now is the time to do it. So head over to the Intercooler app or the-intercooler.com um, and there you can listen to the full one hour, 40 minute Last Blast podcast with Adrian Newey. Uh, for now, enjoy this 15 minute extract. So you now find yourself at McLaren um, working with Ron. Mm. Culturally, a bit different, I would imagine, to the Frank and Patrick show. Very much so. I think <laughs> when Ron kind of, or McLaren, the way it operated, when you go in, if you didn't walk through the race bay, you'd be hard pressed to know what was being made there. Yeah. And I think that's the way Ron kind of liked it, that he. He, he likes this sort of image of it being a high-tech business that could be making anything. Yeah. It just happened to be making racing cars. Um, it, the original building, um, or the building I worked in to start with for the first three, four years, was it was a bit like we have here at Red Bull. It was, it was a pretty average piece of architecture, just a typical industrial estate building on, a, an, on an industrial estate. And I, I like the honesty of that. It doesn't pretend anything's, anything it's not meant to be. It's just concentrating on its core business of making the best racing cars it can. Yeah. And the first, first kind of that time, Ron and I had a very good relationship with Martin, so it was a proper three-way relationship, if you like, and Ron did stick to his word and thoroughly involved Martin and myself in all the key policy decisions and so forth. It all worked very well. Um, Ron did nearly have, thought he was going to have a heart attack about two weeks in. Uh, so I, I joined on the 1st of August. And uh, Ron wanted me to come along to a race, which, so the next race was Hungary, which I went along to. But by then I'd been working there for about two weeks and inherited John Barnard's old office right. which was kind of floor to, ho- floor to ceiling mahogany wood panelling dark wood panelling with black window frames uh, a mahogany desk um, dark brown carpet black chair I think I can't remember so uh, anyway when you're working I was working crazy hours trying to catch up because it was a very late start first of August um, I was working kind of good 12 hour maybe more days yeah. very often well past midnight and um, by the end of that it was getting, you know, this darkness was getting a bit depressing so I, I said to the factory manager look, while I'm in Hungary for the race, can you brighten it up a bit, here's a colour a farrow and ball colour chart, yeah. I quite like the duck egg blue so can you do the repaint the panels, duck egg blue uh, get me a lighter brown chair or something and say a, a light beige carpet yep no problem so I went away came back on Monday and it had done it all incredible really just in a few days and it completely transformed it now <laughs> felt bright and cheery and everything anyway that evening that Monday evening um, Ron came in about six o'clock and he stood in the doorway and he started gulping like a goldfish <laughs> and started going more red and then purple I thought he was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> and he finally spun on his heels and walked out. <laughs> the, the, the Ron's favourite colour is grey. Right. And I, he doesn't... Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And, um, and the whole fa- 
McLaren building, even the old one, was, was shades of grey. Yes. So to see this colourful office yes. and something that had been done without his knowledge or control yes. was just... Yes, I can imagine that wouldn't compute very yeah, well in the... Yeah. His, years later, I was chatting to his wife, Lisa, who's still a very good friend, and um, she said he got back from that evening. He said, that's it. He's going. He's going. <laughs> <laughs> well, l- luckily for him, you didn't, because yeah. you had... Um, you know, the first two seasons were, were fantastic, weren't they? Yeah, they were. No, we had two. The, they had, there was quite a big rule change between 97 and 98. Uh, narrow track cars, various other aerodynamic regulations, plus the change to groove tyres. And, uh, and I think that allowed us to come up with a very different car. There were some loopholes we exploited in the regulations in terms of the cross-section of the monocoque. Uh, the narrow track, most people tried to go in proportion. Okay, if the track's narrow, we should shorten the wheelbase. Yeah. I felt that actually, because so much of a car's performance is on corner entry, if you've lost kind of, if you've now got more weight transfer onto the outside front tyre because the wheelbase is shorter, mm. the best way to compensate for that is to make the wheelbase longer. Yeah. And, and so that's exactly what we did. So we had a much longer wheelbase than anybody else. And the car worked pretty well. Um, so we had a very good first year, uh, won both championships. Second year, uh, Schumacher broke his leg at Silverstone. But what yeah. people forget is actually Mika was leading the championship at that point anyway. Yeah. So it's not like suddenly we lucked into it. No, sure. I think we almost did the opposite. We actually fell asleep. So then we... We started making all sorts of stupid mistakes. It was quite close at the end, wasn't it? And it was very close at the end. Yeah. But through our own, in truth, I think through our own complacency, yeah. um, we just let too many events slip through our fingers almost because it seemed too easy. Um, yeah. um, and then we start, the, there was that period, wasn't there, of you know, Ferrari dominance. Um, I can remember. Well, you say that, sorry to interrupt, but. No. Yeah, I mean, it was, of course. But 2000, um, we just also had a good car. And going into Indy, which is, I think, about two or three races from the end, again, Mika was leading, I think he was leading the championship. Um, But we just started, the engine started to become very unreliable. So Indy leading the race, um, engine failure, Schumacher went on to win the race, and when you're that close to the end of the season, you suddenly drop. In those days, I think it's probably ten points. It's yeah. just too much to recover from. Yeah. So, with a with better reliability, we would have won the championship in two thousand. Yeah. And actually, the the story that isn't known is that um, Schumacher was on the verge of joining for two thousand and one, but when he saw how unreliable we were in two thousand, wow, he decided know that. not to join. Yeah. Gosh, no idea. Um, but there was a time when you weren't going to be there in 2001. I can uh, remember sitting in the autocar office. Yeah, yeah. And I think I got a press release. I think a press release actually went out. If it didn't go out that you were going to join Jaguar, it was certainly very well known, wasn't it? It was. I think it was a little bit worse in 2001. I think it's more like 2003. Um, by then oh, we, yeah, maybe you're right, yeah. yeah. We, we moved into the new factory in about 2002 or so. 
and I must, if I'm honest, I hated it. Mm. Um, it was, it was just very, very. It was the opposite of what you needed to try and be creative in. It was very clinical. Um, the, the racing cars were even more distant, so I had even less idea what you were meant to be doing. Yeah. Very big open plan offices. Um, to go in, you were meant to go down through these, I think they were called rotundas, circular spiral staircases, um, along a white corridor, which felt like you're going into a funny farm. Yeah. You pop up another one and into your place of work. And yeah, it, it, no, I know it, yeah. And, and I think in the early days, it was actually that you weren't even allowed water at your workplace, which must be against some human rights. Kind of <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> you had to put everything away at night. You were allowed one family photograph on your desk, and that was it. But that had to be folded away and put in a drawer at night. And it was just—it was just very stifling. Um, no colour. I remember saying to Ron, um, "Yeah, I just think the building could do with a bit more colour." He said, "Adrian, don't worry. Come in here." We went in a, an unused room, and there, against the wall, was a, a picture, but facing the wrong way. So proudly turn it around and, uh, so that you could see it and it was a picture of a silver Mercedes McLaren SLR on a grey gravel with a black granite background exactly so I didn't I still enjoyed my job but I didn't enjoy um, that building yeah. I found it quite stifling the other thing was starting as a result of, well, so I started to not enjoy the job, and then um, uh, Bobby, my old friend from yeah. WA Hill, went to Jaguar. Was now, was now um, team principal at Jaguar. Yeah, and he approached me. I thought, well, you know what? I've, I've been lucky enough now to work for two great teams with Williams and McLaren, um, both teams that were winning races and championships long before I joined. Hopefully in both on both teams when I joined I was able to bring something on the design side. Yes. But the infrastructure was all there. So the kind of I still felt a pang of regret at being at leaving and being forced into leave uh, Lason House. And the sort of the opportunity to as we were doing at Lason House start again yeah. with a fresh sheet of paper yeah. and develop a team from more or less scratch yes. and see where we could get to it was one that I kind of felt was unfin- unfinished business yeah. so the opportunity to work with Bobby the opportunity to do exactly that was an appealing one yeah. <clears throat> um, and I just felt as, you know, I felt slightly jaded I suppose I, needed, I felt I needed a new challenge yeah. that was probably the best way of putting it so I started talking to Bobby quite seriously. Um, told um, Ron that this is what I was going to do. And then actually took the kids to the cinema to watch, what was it, uh, The Mummy's, Re- Mummy's Revenge or Return or something. Re- Return of the Mummy, that's it. Right. And um, turned my phone off, of course. Yes. A good cinema guy came out and my phone had about 500 messages on it. <laughs> <laughs> all hell had broken out while I'd been in the cinema because Ron didn't take it well yeah. um, 
And, and Veron is incredibly persuasive. Yes. And he, so he pointed out, which, which was fair, and I'd started to sense it myself, that, that Jaguar stroke forward, then the man, manager, or the, the management kind of would tend to be a revolving door type policy that Bobby might not last that long. Nicky was being involved in. Nicky, I, I didn't know Nicky at that time at all. Yeah. Um, he had a, a very mixed reputation, let's say, within the paddock of could be very hard and and um, on his workforce, etc. Very dogmatic. And I was a bit nervous of that. I, if I was joining, I was going to join because of my relationship with Bobby. Mm. Um, but it started to become evident that Bobby was not in himself in a completely secure footing and so yeah. if I joined and then Bobby, Bobby got hoofed out what would I have mm. and so I didn't know Nicky subsequently many years later I got to know Nicky much better and he was an amazing person um, and so in many ways I re- now regret not having had the opportunity to work with Nicky as well as Bobby Yes, but I didn't know that at the time yeah. um, Ron did a, did a great number and, yeah. and persuaded me to stay. Um, so, you, so you stayed on for, I think, another couple of seasons. Um, but then, actually, in 2006, you end up effectively at that team. Yep. Um, yeah, a couple of years late, but presumably a lot of the faces were the same, but it's called Red Bull now. Indeed. So I think uh, after that, then, Ron persuaded me to stay. Um, but I think behind, unknowingly, and understandably, to be fair, Ron said to Martin Whitmarsh, make sure that we are never ever put in that position again where we have a technical director who's, who's effectively become too powerful. Right. Well, we are, have become too dependent on him, is a better way of putting it. Yes. So Martin then came up with what was called the matrix system, where he had a, kind of, he had a head of aerodynamics and a chief of aerodynamics and a head of DO and a chief mechanical designer and so on and so forth. And it was just a mess, to be perfect. Yeah, it's, it's too clumsy. Yeah, um, too many, too many cooks. So, uh, and it, that little group started to become too powerful to the point that I, it became, I was starting to lose technical control of the direction, which I'd never had before. Um, yeah, to be fair to Patrick, he had always completely let me get on with it. Um, yeah. Whereas now, for the first time in my career, I was actually effectively kind of not free to do what I wanted, um, technically. And so I thought, okay, it's, 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 just, it's got to be time to move on. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.